Tonight, Hebrews chapter number 12, Hebrews chapter number 12. Uh, You know that on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at a series of messages on living by principles. I know that uh, we have some doctrines that we hold very strongly to, but we also have some principles that guide us. They're not the same as doctrines. They're just guidelines that we follow. Hebrews 12, we've looked at the principle of separation. Looked at the principle of consecration. Looked at the principle of always putting God first, of having Christian fellowship, of having heavenly affections. The principle of authority. Everyone has authorities in their life. The principle of temptation, principle of finishing, principle of concentration, the local church, dealing with weaker Christians, doubtful things, not looking back, feelings, worry. Last week we looked at the principle of generous living. And I warned you all when I started, I didn't say generous giving. I said generous living. God is a generous God. And God has proved to be a generous God to us. And so we looked last week at the fact that God's generosity to us ought to compel us to be generous with others And God will always reward that with compound interest. Having said that, Hebrews chapter 12, which you look there in verse number 1, very familiar verse. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. I know that there's a good number of our regular Wednesday folks that aren't here. Some are away. Some are off at convention, Lord. Others probably recovering from sickness. So, Lord, I pray administer to all those of ours that are not here. But, Lord, we're grateful for each one that's come, each one that's made a priority in the middle of the week to gather together with other believers And Lord, I pray that you would reinforce yet another principle in our minds, that you would help us with this matter. Direct my words, fill me with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're guessing that the writer of Hebrews was Paul. It's it's not clear. All the rest of the letters that Paul wrote, he identified himself at the very beginning of each letter. And he didn't do that here in the beginning of Hebrews. And so some have suggested Paul wrote it, but he wrote it so early in his Christian life that he hadn't established that uh, routine of putting his name at the beginning of it. But nonetheless, whether it was Paul or not Paul, that verse in Hebrews 12.1 compares the Christian life to running a race. And uh, I don't know about you, when I was growing up, I wasn't athletic. That wasn't my strength. I didn't care for that kind of thing in school. I preferred academics, and I pursued that. But I did watch running races. I think that some of you are far more athletic than I would have been. And, you know, you can even learn some things watching someone run. And so if you're in the matter of writing notes down, I want to start with giving you 10 ways that a running race is like the Christian life. And so if you write quick, I'll give them quick. If you write slow, it's going to take longer. Again, he's comparing the Christian life to running a race. Uh, the first way that they're the same is every race has a starting line. And just like that, the Christian life has a starting line. When you uh, and I got saved, that began our Christian race. 
Second thing that's true about both, every race has a finish line. You're not just running for the sake of running, but you're running toward a goal. There's a finish line. And for we that are saved, we have a finish line. We're hoping it's the rapture that takes us out of here. It could be death that takes us out of here. But the second thing that's similar about both, there's a finishing line. Second thing about a race that's true about the Christian life is we don't pick the details of our race. We don't pick the details of our life. The runner can't say, I don't run up and down hills. I only run on flat places. A runner in a race doesn't decide his course. A runner in a race can't decide, I only run in the daytime. I never run at night. If you enroll as a runner in the race, you don't pick the details. Somebody much higher in authority, they pick the details. Look here at the end of verse number one. The Bible talks about, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So folks in our Christian life, we didn't pick the details of a race. So maybe you're going through your race and you're dealing with things that others aren't, and you don't think it's fair, and, and, and this just isn't right for God to do this, you don't pick the details of the race. The fourth thing that's true about a running race that's also true about the Christian life is running a race requires patience. You can't just start off from that uh, starting block if it's a long-distance race. You have to pace yourself. You have to be patient about it. And so, too, in the Christian life, look there in chapter 12 and verse 1, right at the end of that verse, it says, let us run with patience. How often we as Christians, both you and me, want it to be fixed yesterday, want it to be accomplished yesterday, and yet uh, both uh, require patience. I give you a fifth thing. Every runner runs better when he's running alongside other runners. And so I know maybe in the morning, maybe you walk, maybe you run, maybe you drive, ride your e-bike, maybe you, but you know, you'll always do better in every competition, every race, if there's others that are running with you. And that's true in the Christian life. You say, well, preacher, I don't need to go to church. I don't know. Well, you can still be a Christian, not go to the house of God. That's true. But you won't do as good in your Christian life as if you're doing it alongside someone else. Didn't we see in three years of COVID what happened to so many Christians that were limited or prevented from getting together with other Christians? Some of them just didn't make it. And I don't think they planned that in the March of 2020. I don't think they planned that. I'm saying, fifth, we realize that every runner runs better when he's running alongside other runners. In your Christian life, you'll always run better when you are running alongside others. Now look there in chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says, wherefore seeing we, notice that plural, we, also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, that's a plural word, Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
no matter who's writing this, he's reminding these believers they'll always do better when they're running alongside other Christians. And folks, I will too. And you, you will not do better by your own. The devil will try to tell you that, but it won't work. It just won't work. I give you a sixth thing. Every uh, race has crowds that are watching. Every race has crowds that are watching. Now, if you're just in a junior race, it might just be your mom. <laughs> might be your dad. The bigger the race, the bigger the crowd. The Olympic race, large crowd. Well, look there in verse number 1, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And you've heard it said before, but chapter 12 follows this great Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is a listing of great saints in years gone by that ran their race. And the suggestion is that when they ran their race, now they're watching you and I run our race. So again, that sixth uh, detail that's the same, every race has crowds that are watching. But the seventh detail is, uh, although running alongside others, and although you know that there are crowds that are watching, you are going to have to focus on the finish line. And so every runner knows that there are others he's running with, and every runner knows that there are crowds that are watching. But he doesn't focus on the other runners. He doesn't focus on the crowds. Again, I say to you that uh, uh, although running alongside others and knowing crowds are watching, the wise runner keeps his focus not on the runners, not on the crowds, but on the finishing line. Look at verse number two. Looking unto Jesus. So folks, you say, well, Pastor, what's, what's wrong with watching the other runners? What if they quit? What if they stumble? What if they fail? If your eyes are on them, all it will do, it will, it will discourage you. But if your eyes are on Jesus Christ, that's the finishing line, it will help you. Uh, the eighth thing that we notice here is every runner takes encouragement from others who have succeeded in the same race. And so if, if I was going to be a runner, I would probably check the history of others that have ran it before. What did they do, and how did they plan it, and, and who won it last year? Uh, for you that follow sports, maybe you don't remember who won hockey last year, football or baseball, but if you wanted to win it, you'd probably look up the team or the person that won it before. And here, as uh, we are running this race, I'm saying to you that it would be in great encouragement to look at others who have succeeded before us. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He finished his race. And if he finished his race, then you can gain some encouragement by taking note of what he did. I give you a ninth thing. Every runner knows that he must endure some hardships so that he might win his race. In other words, every runner knows that he must endure some hardships so that he might win his race. It's not easy to win a race. If it was easy, everybody would sign up. 
And yet, if you're going to win the race, there's going to be some hardships to endure. Look there in Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So our Lord had to endure some things. Despising the shame. Look at verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. So again, if you're going to run a race, then you know there's going to be some hardships involved. And then finally, every, run, every runner, try it again, every runner knows his greatest battle is in his mind. You are not beat by an opponent, you're beat by yourself. And if in your mind you are saying before that starting gun even shoots, I don't have a hope in the world, you've already lost that race. But if in your mind you have convinced yourself I have as good of a chance as anyone else, then you have hope. Your biggest battle is in your mind. Now look there at Hebrews 12, verse 3. The Bible says, For consider him, that's Christ, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I'm going to hazard to guess that someone here is thinking of quitting. Quitting church, quitting God, quitting something, quitting your ministry. Nobody knows it, but it's been in your mind and you've been mulling it over and you just don't know quite how to do it or when to do it. You have been defeated in your mind. And that's why the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You have to have a will in your mind. There are Christians and there are churches that have faced more difficult things than you and I have ever to this point that made it because in their mind they were fixed on God. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. If you look at the circumstances, you could be very discouraged. But if your mind is focused on the Lord... So those are ten ways that the Christian life is just like a running race. And you say, well, Pastor, which one are we going to look at? The eleventh one. I thought you said there's only ten. There's one more, and that's what I'm going to look at tonight. Look there at Hebrews 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... And the sin which does so easily beset us. I'd like to preach on this title, The Principle of Weights. The Principle of Weights. W, uh, sorry, W-E-I-G-H-T-S. Uh, if you have followed any kind of a race, then uh, you know that they don't put on as much as they can. You know that they remove as much as they can because those weights will only slow them down. Uh, if you followed uh, running races or if you've watched the Olympics, you probably know the name Usain Bolt. hope I'm saying his name right. Usain Bolt is a runner, famous runner from Jamaica. And he had set many records for his running, most notably the 100-meter dash. 
On August the 16th of 2009, he was going to run the finals of the 1,000-meter, sorry, 100-meter dash. And this was taking place at the World Athletic Championship in Berlin. Leading up to that race, he'd already set the world record for a 100-meter dash. So all eyes were on Usain Bolt as he walked up to that starting block. But the crowds watched as he removed his warming tracksuit, took it off, set it aside. Wait, he could have worn it. There was no rule against wearing that kind of a warming tracksuit. But he decided, I'm going to take this off so that the little amount of this weight won't be enough to slow me down. He was smart enough as a runner to realize that I have to remove every weight that I can to help me to run faster. And uh, again, why would he do that? The race rules didn't prevent him from wearing it, but he took it off because he didn't want anything to hinder his performance. And that day, when he stepped up to the starting block, he ran the 100-meter dash in 9.58 seconds, that broke his previous record. And you know what says that we that are Christians, we're going to have to shed some sins and some weights if we're going to do well. And so again, we're looking at the principle of weights there in verse number one. That verse, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. I want you to notice that the runner is encouraged to remove two things in order to do well in his race. First of all, he's to remove weights, and then he's also to remove sins. Both of those things will slow down that runner. But sins are different than weights, and weights are different than sins. If you're taking notes tonight, there is a difference between sins and weights in our Christian life. There is a difference between sins and weights in our Christian life. If I was a runner, again, I'm not. But if you were my coach for running, and you're not, because I'm not a runner, but if I walked up to you and uh, I said, I know that I'm running this race this afternoon, but it was my birthday yesterday, and I just got a bottle of liquor for my birthday. I didn't, but we're making this up. And so I just say to you as my coach, I just got a bottle of liquor. Would it be okay for me to drink that at least the night before the big race? You as my coach would say, no, no. You can't drink liquor. That would be a sin if you have Christian principles. If I walked up to you as my coach and said, now this here is a Cuban cigar, and I was given this because I had a nephew that was born, can I smoke this before the race? You would say, no, absolutely not, because it's a... <laughs> I missed that. That's <laughs> We'll skip that one. No, because it's a sin. And so we know what sins are, folks. Uh, the Baptist churches are good at lists of sins. But if I walked up to you as my coach and said, now, these are the steel-toed boots that I wear at high tech. 
is it okay if I wear these for the race? You'd say, no. Because it's a sin? No, because it's a weight. There's a difference between sins and weights in our Christian life. If I said this, you know, I just got this Mexican sombrero. The Lowens brought it back from Mexico. It's a 20-gallon sombrero, biggest they could find. Could I wear this? You'd say, no. Well, it's, it's not a sin. It might look a little silly, but it's not a sin. I'm saying the first thing in this principle of weights is there's a difference between sins and weights in our Christian life. There's some things in our Christian life we don't do if we plan to run well because they're sins. And there are some things that we don't do, though they're not sins. They are weights because they're going to slow us down to do our best in our race for God. I give you the first thing. There's a difference between sins and weights in our Christian life. The second thing, would you write this down? How do we determine between sins and weights in our Christian life? Pastor, okay, there's a difference. But how do we determine between sins and weights in our Christian life if both of them are going to prevent us from doing our best? How can we tell what are sins? How can we tell what are weights? Well, the easiest of the two to define is the sins. Because the Bible from cover to cover gives lists after lists of sins that we're not supposed to do. For sake of time, we won't turn to it, but if, if you looked in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, that Exodus chapter 20, it talks about the fact that no other gods, because it's a sin, and cursing, it's a sin, and not honoring your parents is a sin, and killing is a sin, and adultery. There's a whole list in Exodus 20, those are sins, and it's easy, easier to identify a sin because there are clear scriptures on it. That's Exodus 20. When you get to Proverbs chapter 6, it talks about these things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And what follows is another list of seven sins. When we get over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, goes on from there, or a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, God's given us another list. We got there to Ephesians 4. talks about put away lying, and put away anger, and put away stealing, and put away filthy communication and bitterness. So it's easier to find things that are sins because likely there are scripture scriptures to find where that is. Do you know what's harder to determine? It's harder to determine the things that are weights. And the reason that it's harder to determine the things that are weights is because for many of them, they are not clearly defined sins. But if they if they hinder you running your best in this race for God, though they might not be a sin, they may very clearly be a weight. I'll give you some examples again. How do we determine? Well, if there's clear scripture, that's, that's pretty easy, but sometimes there aren't clear scripture. 
And maybe there are things that uh, you have allowed in your life, and you say, well, preacher, you can't show me a single verse against that. Well, if I could, it would then be clearly a sin. And it's amazing, sometimes when people say that, the preacher opens to chapter and verse, says, what are you going to do with that? They don't want to see that. And so some that seem so pious, there's no scripture against it. When you show them a scripture, they didn't want to see it in the first place. But folks, there are some things that we ought not to do, even though there isn't a clear scripture against it. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you have a close friend. You say, well, preacher, they're saved. But every time you're around them, you lose ground with God. Every time you're around them, you have less interest in reading the Bible, less interest in praying, less interest in going to church. I say, preacher, they're saved. They might not be a sin, but clearly they're a weight. Do you know, it might be a place that you frequent. I had to think of one, so give me a little, cut me a little slack. Maybe every morning you go to Tim Hortons. Oh, here we go. Maybe it's McDonald's. Maybe it's 7-Eleven. And you sit down with a, in a, at a table with six other buddies. And you say, preacher, there's no verses against going to Tim Hortons or McDonald's or 7-Eleven. That might be true, except if you're in those crowd of people and you can't openly talk about God. And you can't say, gentlemen, why don't we just bow our head and have a word of prayer? You can't talk about what God's doing at church, about someone that just got saved. You can't talk about the great mission work of Blake Muscott. And if you can't talk about the things of God openly, and get a reception from that crowd that you're with. They might not be a sin, but they're a weight in your life that's slowing you down. Say, preacher, what else could be a sport? You'd be hard-pressed to find that hockey's a sin. Unless hockey keeps you away from your Bible and prayer and the house of God, you'd be hard-pressed to find that a hobby. Say, pastor, I whittle. Good for you. Whittle away. Unless your whittling is every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Aren't you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying, Pastor, how do we determine between sins and weights in our Christian life? Well, sins are much easier to determine because most times you'll find a clear scripture on that. Weights are a little bit harder to determine. But if that thing in your life cools your fire for God and kind of stalls your run for God, though it may not be a clear sin, it may very well be a weight. That's why I say it's far easier to determine what's a sin. Well, then how do I determine a weight? Well, if your heart is sensitive and your ear is sensitive to God, the Spirit of God, He'll tell you. And there are plenty of passages in the Bible where the Spirit of God told one of God's people no. They were sensitive to the Spirit of God. There was no, like, you get to Acts chapter 16, and Paul wanted to go one direction. And the Spirit of God said no. And he was sensitive because he could hear the Spirit of God. 
But you know, the truth is, if you or I are cooling down in our Christian life, then likely we're not even sensitive to the Spirit of God speaking. You could know what's a weight if you can hear the Spirit of God. Secondly, you could know if you're completely honest with yourself. But isn't it true that sometimes when we head the wrong direction, we can't even be honest with ourselves? And so then you have to sometimes ask somebody else, help me, what do you see in my life spiritually? Am I going forward or am I going backward? How few would dare ask that question? You see, a lot of times we can't even see it in ourselves because we're a boat on the river that's slowly drifting. But anybody that's on the shore that has been watching your drifting boat, they would be able to say it. And they'd likely be able to say, you know what, you're not reading the Bible like you used to. You're not spending time in prayer like you used to. You used to have a burden to get the gospel to sinners. It's not there anymore. You used to be at church so often, if you weren't there, people asked, where are you? Now you're so infrequent, they're surprised and say, glad to see you. You see, somebody that's solid and not drifting, they can observe somebody that is drifting. And so we're trying to answer this second question, uh, how do we determine between sins and weights in our Christian life? Sins are easier to determine because likely there are scripture verse or verses that point it out. The weights are much e uh, more difficult to determine. If you were in tune with the Spirit of God, you would hear him say, you shouldn't do that. If you were honest with yourself, you'd probably say, I'm not where I used to be. And if you couldn't see it in yourself and had the bravery to ask somebody else, and they said, you know, you've drifted a long way from where you were two months, two years, 20 years. I'm saying if you're drifting, the reason that that question isn't often asked, what do you see in me spiritually? Most people don't want the answer. And sometimes the people that are asked don't want to give the answer. Paul said, am I become your enemy? because I tell you the truth. And sometimes people don't ask, they don't want to know, and sometimes people don't answer because they know what it will cost. i give you the last thing I'm done with this. Luke chapter number 9. So we are looking tonight at the principle of weights. First of all, there is a difference between sins and weights in our Christian life. Secondly, we have seen how do we determine between sins and weights in our Christian life. If you or I are sensitive to the Spirit of God, we'd hear him tell us. If we were honest with ourselves, we'd be able to compare where we are now with where we were two years ago. If not, we could ask some saint of God, what do you see in my life? I give you a third thing. Luke chapter number 9, our Lord, verse 57. Luke chapter number 9, verse 57 there are three men in verse 57 to 62 that our Lord was opening a door for them to follow him. 
So there was a door of opportunity that they had to run big stuff for God. Let's see what happened there. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 says, And it came to pass that as they, Jesus and the disciples, went in the way, a certain man said unto him, so there's this strange man, walks up to Christ, said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. So there's an interest in this first man to follow Christ. Wherever Christ goes, he wants to go. That's a good sign. That's an indication of someone that's making some mileage for God. Watch what Jesus responds in the next verse, verse 58. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You know, our Lord said to him, Appreciate the fact that you want to follow. But I want to give you a heads up. Foxes have homes, and birds have homes, but I do not know where I'm going to lay my head tonight. I don't have the comfort and the guarantee of a home, and if you follow me, you will not have the guarantee of a home at night either. And you know, that's all we read about that man. And we come to the conclusion, forget it. <laughs> I mean, doesn't everybody have a right to having a bed at night? You know what? It wasn't a sin to want a bed at night. But for him, it became a weight because it prevented him from following the Lord. You might have a list of things you expect a God to do in your life for you to continue to follow him. Your list might not be a list of sins, but they might be a list of weights that prevents you from walking through a door that God's opened. Look at the second one. Luke chapter 9 and verse 59. And he, that's Jesus, said unto another. So there's a second stranger. Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And so Jesus walks up to a second man and he said, how would you follow me? The Lord was opening a door for that second man to follow Christ. What an opportunity. But this man's answer was, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now, I don't think, and this is Carlsonology, I don't think his dad just died. I don't think we're talking about his dad died that afternoon. And this man was saying, Lord, you know what? I just got a funeral in two days and I'm following. I don't think that's what we're dealing with. I think this man said, Lord, appreciate you asking me, but I've got things I want to take care of first. And so he said, let me take care of that first, and I'll follow. And we don't read any more about that man. He missed a door of opportunity because of a weight, not because of a sin. Look at the third one, verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Could you write this third point down about weights? Too often doors are closed because of sins and weights in our Christian life. Again, too often doors are closed because of sins and weights in our Christian life. It could be that there's something that you hold on to that's so precious. You say, well, preacher, it's not a sin 
That might be true, but if it prevents you from stepping through a door of opportunity that God gives you, it's at very least a weight. And you know that weight is going to cost you a great opportunity. If the devil can't stop us completely with sins, he's going to try to slow us down and sidetrack us with our weights. And so the question isn't, is this thing, this activity, this person forbidden in Scripture? A far better question is, will this thing or activity or person in my life help me to walk with God? How many people say, Pastor, and, and listen, I've pastored 32 years. How many people have said, Pastor, you can't show me a single verse in the Bible that says this is a sin. Instead of coming at it that way, how about coming at it from the other side? How about saying, Pastor, do you really think that if I do this or don't do this, it's going to help me in my Christian life? These three that we just looked at had something that prevented them from stepping through a door. On the other hand, the flip side is Timothy. Young Timothy, Paul met him in Acts 16. He said to Timothy, I'd like you to come with me on the missionary journey. A door has just opened. Timothy could have said, I'd like to but my mom. I'd like to but my grandma. I'd like to but my home. I'd like to but my church. I'd like to. And Paul said, by the way, Timothy, we have to take care of another issue about circumcision. He said, I, I, I'd like to but. Timothy said, I'm not going to let anything stand in the way of God using me. And my, how God used Timothy. There's a preacher many years ago, F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer, he admitted that in his life there were not sins, but there were weights. And he later, when he got the victory over that, he preached it to a congregation, and he pulled out a set of keys. And he said, every one of these keys on this key ring opens a door, some my house door, some my car vehicle door, some the church where I passed, and he, he mentioned all the keys. And he said, instead of these keys being to the doors of my life, let's say these keys are the doors to my life, to my heart, to my will, to my likes, to my direction, to my friends, to my music, to my pastimes, to my entertainment. And he said, the Lord wants me to give him the entire set of keys. And he said, quite honestly, there was one key that I did not want to give God because I knew what was in there. But he knew what was in there. God kept speaking to my heart. Meyer said, I need all the keys so that you can run well in this Christian life. And he said he resisted and he resisted and he was miserable about it until he finally handed over all the keys. And he said, in short order, God gave him the victory over that room. And God replaced it with something that was so much better. And he said, that was a turning point in my life. If it's a sin in your life or mine, it has to go. But not everything that has to go is a sin. Sometimes it's just a weight. 
and it prevents us from hitting a world record because we won't give that up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the principle of weights. And Lord, we would understand the need to get rid of sins. That would make sense. Plain scriptures that mark out sins. But Lord, not only sins need to go, weights need to go. There's no sin with steel-toed boots, but they don't make for a good race. No sins with a 20-gallon Mexican sombrero, but it wouldn't help running our fastest race. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us, me included. Lord, where there has been an allowance for sin, I pray that you would not give up until you get the victory there. Lord, where there has been an allowance for weight, just something that's not clearly a sin, but it's preventing the best race. Please show us. If we can't see it, give us the character to ask somebody else to help. What do you see? What do you see in my spiritual life? Am I going forward? Am I going backward? Please give us the victory. In this race for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.